His Spirit is with us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you'd make us known to you and that you'd make yourself known to us. You'd help us to speak to you, to give our needs to you, to give our worship to you, and that we would hear from you your desires and your wishes and your wants, and that you'd open our eyes to see you even more. So Lord, come in our midst, we pray tonight. Amen. Let's worship together. We know that there is forgiveness because of what Jesus did in taking all that away at the cross. So we're going to take a moment of quiet, and then we're going to use some words together that will help us to do that. So let's take a moment, and if there is anything that you know in particular, perhaps you want to bring that to mind as we say these words in a moment. And so let's say together. Most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. There's a bit more. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be, that we may do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, our God. Amen. And some words of forgiveness. May the God of love and power forgive you and free you from your sins, heal and strengthen you by his Spirit, and raise you to new life in Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, the great news of the gospel is that if we come to Christ and give those things to him, he's taken it away, that nothing stands between us and God now in our worship of him, in our prayers, and our seeking to follow him. Well, hopefully on your way in, uh, you were... Uh, hearing God's call as to what it is that he's asking of us here in this time and place on a weekly basis to be doing. And as part of that, we're going to be relaunching the evening service in a few weeks' time on 15th of May, which is Pentecost. And we're going to be relaunching it uh, in terms of, and there's a postcard coming around that explains all about this, going deeper with God, which I'm going to be talking on a bit later, so I won't say too much about that. But being very intentional here in this time and place of seeking God and actually going deeper into various aspects of what that looks like. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be hitting various bits of that, trying to explain the vision as to what the evening service is going to look like before we actually do relaunch it um, in about a month's time. I'm going to say quite a lot tonight about what that might look like for us personally and as a church can I encourage you to come along to this entire series, just hear the entire vision? Be, I'm really looking forward to it. We've got a number of speakers coming and speaking as part of this. And uh, you've got dates and you've got titles there. Um, but don't let any of the words or any of the kind of impressions that you might have about church put you off. This is a chance really to 
be genuine together, to seek God together, to ask questions, to uh, find answers. And that's enough, I think, for me. More is going to be explained later. Uh, do take those away with you. And there's lots left over, Jeanette. Lots left over. Great. That's wonderful. Well, lots to probably process there. Going to give you a moment to just chat to someone around you, perhaps say hello to them, uh, ask them how they've been doing. And so we pray personally, come, Lord Jesus. Come in our midst, come in our lives. I'm just going to spend some time in prayer now, just praying for that in the situations around us. Lord, that you would come, and that as we pray to you now, you'd help us to see you at work in the midst of our lives and the lives of those around us. And Jeanette's going to lead us. Please do take a seat as we pray. As I was looking on the St. Jude's Facebook site, before I wrote these prayers, I came across a comment which I really love. We mustn't limit God in our prayers. Even if we think it's impossible, don't assume God can't do it. Pray with faith that he can and will do the impossible, because sometimes he will. When I say your will be done, would you reply on earth as it is in heaven? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we thank you for the promise of your Holy Spirit through the power of your living, through the power of your Spirit living in us. We're able to forgive what would humanly be impossible. You are the Lord of the impossible. And when we stand in faith and pray with confidence, your power is mighty. Loving Father, we lift to you the families of the 200 girls that were abducted by Boko Haram two years ago. Father, we ask that you would be with the counsellors from Open Doors as they support and pray for the families of these young girls. Lord, bring them comfort and peace, knowing you are with their daughters. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our mission this week is in to serve, and we lift to you Rachel and Tim Green. Would you give them energy and your words as they're now touring Australia and New Zealand? giving talks to churches to help equip Christians to reach out to Muslims and encourage and support those who have become Christians from Muslim backgrounds. Refresh and resource them as they travel in Malaysia. And we ask that you would raise up Christians in Kuala Lumpur to come forward and help them as they work among the students. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we pray that you would be close to all families of those who have been injured and those who have died. 
in the awful fire in India. And we pray good resources for the medical teams. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, as we think of our own country, we pray for our politicians that they would fight for just and right causes and not for their own gain. Would you give them wisdom to take care of those in need and to uphold Christian laws? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Loving Father, we thank you for St Jude's Nursery School, for the teachers and the helpers and their families. Would you be with them as they bring up those children to know and to love you? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father God, protect and guide the leaders of your church. We pray for Bishop Christopher, for Mike and for Jit, and for the rest of the staff team, and the many volunteers who lead various groups in church. Bless them and protect them. Refresh and resource them in Jesus' name. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father God, nothing is impossible for you. So we lift to you those in our church family who are unwell, and we pray that you would pour out your healing touch upon them. Lord, we lift G Fry to you today, that you would blast all the infection and hypocephalus from her body, and give the doctors and the surgeons the skill as they treat her and restore her spinal cord and nerves. And we look to your promise of complete and total healing. We pray for the day that she will walk tall and strong in your name. We also lift David and Rosie, Ed and Emma, that they would know and feel the strength of your loving arms around them through this time. For the Reverend Ross Dilnert, who lost his leg in a road accident on Friday, and for his family and the Shelney Fellowship in Milton Keynes. Breathe on baby Joshua Lardner. Give wisdom to the doctors that they might know what was wrong and heal him. We pray for Warren Curtin Vaughan, Arnold Selby and myself. We would feel your loving and healing arms around us. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for those who are now with you face to face in their new heavenly bodies but we remember their family and friends, and we ask that you would bring comfort to the pain of separation. May they have good memories to fill the hearts and minds as they grieve. 
We pray especially for Margaret Turner's family, who was such a big part of so many here in St Jude's. And also for Winifred Tilbury. As our Saviour taught us, so we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Jeanette, thank you for leading us in those intercessions. We're going to have our reading for this evening now. Can I encourage you to find a Bible that should be in the chairs next to you? Also, the words are going to be on the screen as well. Uh, and Ruth's going to come and read for us. Thanks, Ruth. I'm looking forward to what God has to say to us through it tonight because this is the second time today this reading has just been brought before me. So I think that's really exciting. It's God's living word to each one of us. And we're reading from Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 to 12. Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 to 12, and it's found on page 888 zero in the church bible the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple and i saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east for the temple faced east the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple south of the altar he then brought me out through the north gate and led me round the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the, water, the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish 
because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Enclaim. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both branks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fall. Every month they will bear, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we thanks for reading that so beautifully to us. Um, please do keep your Bibles open at that page, unlike me, who's just closed it. Uh, we're going to be digging into it in just a moment. Let me pray for us as we begin. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you that you are here with us and that you are a speaking God. We pray that by the power of your Spirit we might hear your voice. Lord, it's a simple request. It's an honest request. We want to hear from you tonight. So please help us through the words of your scriptures, through things that I might say. May we discern what you're saying to each one of us personally, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to begin with a question. And the question is this. What is your favourite type of film, I wonder? If you were suddenly given a movie voucher to go and see a film at the cinema, what would be your favourite type that you'd instantly go and see? I wonder if, if it's the rom-com, which is romantic comedy. The ups and downs of emotional turbulence and Romeo and Juliet and Love Actually and Bridget Jones. And if you're a guy here, it's okay to admit that you like rom-coms and we can, we can offer prayer ministry later if you want that to go. Or maybe, maybe it's the action film. Some mindless entertainment. I can see some cheers in the back there. Just putting it on and being able to disengage from the world as Arnie blows stuff up and the expendables spend time on a mission trying to rescue a hostage. Or maybe it's none of those things. Maybe it's the fantasy and sci-fi film that allows you to enter into a completely different world for two or three hours and experience new things that you could never normally experience. Things like Lord of the Rings, or more recently, Star Wars. I wonder what's your favorite type of film? That's not that we're gonna watch a film in a moment, by the way. We are actually gonna look at the Bible. I wanted to start with that, because this passage in Ezekiel is like none of those types of films at all. It's like a different type of film. A film that's a mystery thriller where you have to work out what's going on. But there's joy as you work it out and it reaches a climax and then suddenly there's a revelation moment. Oh, he's the murderer. Oh, that's what it's all about. And that's what's going on here in this passage, really. Because at first reading, it makes absolutely no sense at all, if we're honest, at first reading. And it perhaps wouldn't have for Ezekiel either. 
A bit of a context, Ezekiel is an Old Testament prophet writing while Israel, the people of God from the Old Testament, were in exile, taken away from their capital city, Jerusalem, and surrounding lands by the Babylonians. And Ezekiel is given visions as a prophet during his lifetime while they're there in exile. And towards the end of his ministry, he's given this huge vision of something that he probably didn't quite understand. He sees a vision, beginning a few chapters back, of a land with a huge city in it, bigger than Jerusalem, bigger than any city he'd probably ever seen. And that in that city is a huge temple that fills the city. And he wouldn't have understood what that meant either. And there's exact dimensions given to this temple. What's going on? And then, as we read in our passage, from that temple, flowing eastwards from the city, there's a stream of water that gets deeper and deeper and flows into a river and goes out towards the earth. And he's asked, son of man, do you understand these things? Do you know what's going on? Well, I doubt he did, but maybe he did. Maybe he understood a bit of this. Since this has been written, many people try to explain what it's about and give interpretations and have theories. Some think it's actually going to happen physically. There are actual blueprints that I've seen on the internet recently of the temple and costings as to how much it would cost to build this temple and how long it would take. People think perhaps it's going to be physical reality that's going to happen one day. For others, actually, they take pity on Ezekiel. It's, it's Ezekiel wishing and wanting something that will never happen. Maybe he's hallucinating, maybe he's just dreaming a dream, but none of this will ever happen. He's just a browbeaten prophet with his people in exile. Now, I don't take any of those interpretations to be right, actually. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think that what's going on here is that Ezekiel sees something about the future. The future that is actually our present. So he was part of the old covenant, the old promise of God. But he sees something about the new covenant and the new promise of God. Where actually everything changes. And where the temple is no longer a physical structure, but is actually Jesus. It's actually God himself. In the Gospel of John, Jesus speaks about the fact that if you destroy this temple and pointing to himself, three days later it will be raised from the dead. And that's exactly what happened. Speaking about himself as the temple. In the book of Revelation, in that amazing vision given to John that's very similar to this one, he says at the end of it that in the new Jerusalem, I did not see a temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. That this is about God, God being there. This is about us. This is a vision for our times. Ezekiel got to see it in advance, a glimpse of it in language that he would understand in terms of old covenant language. But it's for us as followers of Jesus, here and now. And he was shown a couple of things that I want to dig into tonight. A couple of things that are very apt for what we're thinking about over the next few weeks, really. Firstly, he was shown an invitation to go deeper. 
Now, Ezekiel's been shown around in this vision by a heavenly tour guide. Imagine someone who's a local who understands these realities and these spiritual things. He's come to visit him and to show him around these things. And this heavenly tour guide has taken him on a tour around the city and now takes him to the source of this water that's trickling out from this city. And at the very beginning, it's only a trickle from underneath the city gate. Then it says in verse 3, he measures off a thousand cubits, which is about 500 meters, just less than that, and gets Ezekiel to wade into it like a human measuring stick. And Ezekiel finds it up to his ankles, it's got deeper. And then he measures off another thousand cubits, about 500 meters again, and it's up to his knees. And then again, another thousand, and it's up to his waist. And then again, and this time he doesn't go in the river because it's so deep that he'd be consumed by it as in over his head. And he knows that he couldn't cross safely. And then he's asked, son of man, do you see these things? And his response probably would have been, yes, but I have no idea what they mean. I don't understand these things. Yes, I see them, but I don't understand. But for us, we can see these things and say, yes, completely, we understand. Because if this is a river flowing from God himself, well, what is this? Well, this is the river of God, God's presence going from his throne room, from the place where he is, out into the whole earth. This is the river of God. It's not just any river. And as Ezekiel's been invited to find out how supernaturally it gets so deep so quick, we're invited, you and I, are invited to find out how deep this river gets so quickly, so deep in our lives, if we choose to go along it, if we choose to ask to see these things. Preeminently, of course, it happened in his son, Jesus, being sent. That going forth from him, that wonderful life that no one compares to. God himself in the flesh, perfect beyond perfection. That's God flowing out from himself as a river towards us. But in the here and now, it happens by his spirit as he continues to do that. And it's an invitation to you. He continues to go out from himself to you. He doesn't stay aloof. The water isn't dammed in to the city. It goes out to the whole earth. It goes out to you and me. And if this is true, I want to suggest that these times where Ezekiel is called to dip his, water, dip his toes in the water and then goes wading along different depths are actually invitations to us to see how deep our relationship with God is. You see, at the beginning, it's just a trickle around his feet. And that, perhaps, is the equivalent of the beginning of the Christian life. Maybe just before then, when you're aware God exists. You've heard about him, you've probably perhaps grown up in that context where you see him doing things in other people's lives. But it doesn't really affect you. Just trickle around your feet. But then going on, it's up to your ankles. And now you're definitely aware that he exists. And you're definitely aware that there's a flow of the river, there's a current to it. But you're still firmly in control. You can wade about as you wish. 
then going further on, it's knee-deep. And at this point, you're aware that there's a current that's trying to take you somewhere. And you can choose whether to go with that current, go with the river, or stand your ground and just walk through it. Again, everything's relatively comfortable. But by the time it gets to waist-deep, you're in the river waist-deep, well, things have changed. Because the current at that point is strong enough to pull you along. And sometimes you win against the river, and sometimes the river wins against you. And that depth of relationship, I think, is where a lot of us probably are, if we've been following Christ for any amount of time. It's that time where sometimes God's will is done, sometimes our will is done, and there's a battle. It's a real battle between the two. Of course, Ezekiel's shown another depth, one further depth. And that is in over his head. And if he was trying to get if he tried to get into the river at this point, he wouldn't win. The river would take him. And he'd have to go with the flow of the river. And he's asked, Do you see these things? Do you see this possibility, this possible depth of relationship, of knowing God? And do you want it? Do you want it? I want to say that this is what God invites every single one of us to, wherever we are along that river. But that's the end point, that's where he wants us to be, in over our heads, where it's him and him alone. And I personally, I'm far from it, I'm far from it. But that's what he holds out as an invitation to each one of us. Peter Marshall, the uh, former chaplain to the US Senate, once said, God has equipped us to go deep sea diving, but instead we wade in bathtubs. We've been equipped to go deeper than we could possibly imagine, but instead we're content to be quite shallow. And there's a call here to not be content with that, to go deeper with him. In the New Testament, which speaks directly to us, there's an invitation that's seen like this in every single book you could read, every single type of book. For example, in the Gospels, there's that provocative model of Jesus who had such a deep relationship with God that he was able to say that whatever the Father is doing, that's what I'm doing as well. We're one. I and the Father are one. And he actually says to his disciples, as it was for me, well, it can be for you as well, because you get to be sons and daughters of God. But you get that type of relationship as well, if you want it, that deep. Paul, in his writings, simply talks about it as being in Christ. And in the last letter that he wrote, the letter of Philippians, as an old man, he said, I've longed for this, I've struggled for this, and I still haven't got there yet. But I'm doing everything I can do, possibly, to be found in Christ on that day. He wants it. He wants this deeper relationship with God. The Apostle John, who's slightly more mystical, as we were hearing last week, speaks about it as abiding, abiding in the one who loves us and loving him in return. That idea of organic unity of a branch and a vine separate yet exactly the same. The implication here is really clear. And most of us know it, but most of us don't want it, let me suggest. 
either. We can say to ourselves, life's far too comfortable. Why would I want to disrupt life like that? I've got it just the way that I want it. No one's going to change that. I've worked hard for that. Or the opposite, actually. The life is far too hectic at the moment. There's too many things going on, too many distractions, too many other possibilities. I can't have the time for this kind of stuff. A Bible teacher of the previous generation, J. Oswald Saunders, put it like this. We are at this moment as close to God as we really choose to be. True, there are times where we'd like to know deeper intimacy, but when it comes to the point, we are not prepared to pay the price involved. And you consider that you're as close as God as you want to be. In the end, it depends on you and you alone. God's given you an open invitation to know him as deeply as you want. That river is there, it's been opened, and nothing can stop its flow. And he says to you, how deep do you want to go? How far along the river do you want to be? It's completely up to you. Completely up to you. It might be a bit scary. You lose control. You have to go with the flow of the river. It might change things. It might disrupt things. But that offer is there for you to go deeper with him. At the 6.30 service, um, we're going to be thinking about how to go deeper with God here, evening by evening, for the next few weeks. And we're going to look at various ways of doing this. But it's something that should mark the entire church, not just us personally and individually, but all of us together. To be a deep church, it follows him deeply. C.S. Lewis, who was the Christian author of the Chronicles of Narnia and uh, lots of other Christian books, both specifically on theology and also in terms of stories. And he uh, was once asked, what type of church do you prefer? Go on, tell us, what's your ideal church? And he replied the following, my preference is neither for high church, where there's lots of liturgy perhaps, nor for low church, where there's lots of worship, but rather for deep church. Rather for deep church. In the end, it doesn't matter if you're into choirs and organs or if you're into drums and guitars. That's just stylistic. And it's great that we've got a great worship band, but that's just stylistic preference. What matters is how deep your walk with Jesus is. How deep the worship is here. How deep you encounter him, how deeply he affects your life. All the rest matters nothing compared to that. It's often been said that the church is like a swimming pool because all the noise comes from the shallow end. Took you a moment to get that one, didn't it? May that not be true here. I want to say that. May that not be true. May the noise come from the deep end. May the noise of our praise and our prayers and the words that are spoken up here and the witness that goes out from this place come from the deep end of deeply walking with our risen Lord Jesus. Well, that's the first thing, an invitation to go deeper. Very clearly seen here. 
for Ezekiel is in his time, he probably didn't understand, but for us, we know clearly it's an invitation to us. But secondly, he sees the power of the river to transform. And he sees this river flowing out from the temple and changing everything it touches. And it brings about two key things. It brings about healing and it brings about life. And he sees this in two different ways. There are two lots of two here. He sees it in terms of the river purifying anything it comes into contact with. And he sees it by these trees, fruit trees, that seem to grow on its banks and show forth healing and life. But firstly, wherever the river goes, there is healing. Verse 8, it says, This water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the sea. When it enters the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Now, we're pretty sure that the geography that's described here in some of the locations helps us fix it, is that this river flows in somewhere called the Dead Sea. That's the sea that's being talked about. And if you've ever been to the Holy Land on a visit, you'll know that the Dead Sea is a poisoned sea, actually. It's got the greatest salt concentration on the planet. Nothing lives in it, and not only salt. It's got all other kinds of poisons and impurities that makes it impossible to use for just about anything, apart from paddling around it and realizing just how buoyant it is. If you go there, it just stinks. It really, really smells. But what Ezekiel sees is that the river flows into the Dead Sea and makes it completely fresh water, purifies it completely, making it useful, healing it. The word in the Hebrew here for making fresh is related to the word to heal. And of course, this is a supernatural thing because what happens when fresh water comes into contact with salt water? It becomes salty normally. But with this river, with the water of this river, the salt water instead becomes fresh. And what God's saying is that wherever the river of God flows, that's what it's going to do. It's going to heal. It's going to heal and take away impurities and make things fresh and pure again. You see it again with the trees that are on the side of the banks. It speaks about their leaves being for healing. I don't know, that, that was trying to be a leaf impression, sorry. Their leaves being for healing. And the book of Revelation says, actually, healing for the nations, it's on a global extent. But somehow, the things that grow up around the river, that are in close contact with it, bring healing. And this is God's power, to heal. Not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. If he is God of the whole universe and if he loves us, he loves to do this stuff. And wherever the river is, there will be healing. And the second thing that this river brings is life. Verses 9 and 10, it says, Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because the water flows there, makes the salt water fresh, so that wherever the river flows, everything will live. Wherever the river flows, everything will live. With the trees at the side of the bank, it speaks about the fact that their leaves do not wither. They're perpetually alive. That there's fruit that comes off them in every single month that supports life for everything around it. 
that wherever the river goes, it brings life. And this again speaks of God's power to bring life to dead situations, to dead, dead people. You saw it at Easter. It's what he did with his son. And it, it's what he loves to do, to bring life where there's been death. And this is what happens wherever the river goes, wherever the river of God is. And of course, these two things that the river does, healing and bringing life, obviously both the same kind of thing they're flip sides of the same coin what God is doing here through the river of God is undoing the effects of fall the fall which are death and decay and instead bringing life and healing but he wasn't satisfied to let us suffer the way that we would have for eternity had he not acted but he's in the business of turning that around 180 degrees so that where there is death, there is life. Where there is decay, there is healing. And this is what the river does. This is what God can do in our midst if the river flows. But, and applying this to us, that requires something of us, unfortunately. Because notice in the passage, this effect of the river doesn't happen when the river is just a stream and it's just ankle deep. It doesn't happen when the river is knee-deep or waist-deep. When does it happen? It happens when it's as deep as being in over your head. And to mix images slightly, what that passage is trying to say, therefore, is that if you want to see these things happening in your lives and in the lives of those around you, well, you're going to have to be walking that deeply yourself you actually become a human channel of the river. That God causes his river to flow through you. You know that Jesus in John 7 spoke about the fact that if anyone believes in him, out of his heart will come streams or rivers of living water. But as you walk deeply with God, his river becomes part of you. As you immerse yourself in the river, you actually get to have that river flowing through you and affecting the lives around you. And can you imagine what that might be like for you? St. Augustine, probably the greatest thinker in church history, once said, what I live by, I impart. But if you live by a deep relationship with God, knowing his power deeply in your soul, knowing his closeness, deeply in your walk with him well what's going to happen to the lives around you they're going to encounter the exact same things of course they are I wonder if you could dream for a moment what would that look like for you what would it look like if God started to do the amazing around you and bringing healing to lives around you physical healing of bodies emotional healings of relationships healings from past traumas and hurts and memories, what would that look like for people around you? What would it look like if God started to bring his life all around you? That no longer people being captive to fears and past traumas, that no longer people living with despair, but instead living with hope. What would that look like for you? With your friends, with your family, with... Even in your workplace, what would that look like? In A.A. Milne's uh, Winnie the Pooh, 
Uh, there's a story in which Eeyore, the donkey, finds himself in a river. And then he encounters Piglet afterwards. And uh, let me read from it. Oh, Eeyore, you are wet, said Piglet, feeling him. Eeyore shook himself and asked someone to explain to Piglet what happened when you had been inside a river for quite a long time. What if anyone notices that you're in the river? <laughs> if anyone asks the question. Being in the river quite a long time. Does your life cause people to realise, oh, there's something about his walk that's different? That she seems to be having all around her things happening that we just can't explain. That there's something different here. The deep river of God. And again, it's not just for us individually. It's for all of us as a church. It's often been said that there's no use having a church that's a mile wide, but only an inch deep. It's just not going to do anything. It'll make no difference. You can be a contemporary church. You can be a... A church that is great at social contact. You can be a church that is great at advertising itself. All of those are good things. But unless you're a deep church, unless we're deep in our walk with God, there's no substance behind all the glitz. There's no power behind it all. There's a need for us to walk deeply with Jesus. Part of what we're saying this year is to follow him further and deeper. It's what we long for that lives might be transformed from this place. And I want to end with a story of what this could look like, what this might look like for us here in this country. Matthew Paris is a well-known reporter for the Times newspaper. And in 2008, you might have read this article, he wrote in the Times newspaper an article saying, as an atheist, I truly believe Africa needs God. That was the title of the article. And in this article, he describes how he'd been born in a country called Malawi. And he'd gone back to see what had been happening over the last few years. And he found that the country was being transformed by development agencies, and especially Christian development agencies, who were having the greatest impact and he'd completely written off Christianity, but it really challenged him. And in the article, he wrote the following. Before Christmas, I returned after 45 years to the country that as a boy I'd known as Nyasaland, but today it's called Malawi. It inspired me renewing my flagging faith in development charities, but traveling in the country, it refreshed another belief as well. It confounds my belief, stubbornly refuses to fit into my worldview, and has embarrassed me by going against my belief that there is no God. Now a confirmed atheist, I've been convinced of the enormous contribution Christian evangelism makes in Africa, sharply distinct to any other organisation. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. 
the change is good. This is the effect that matters so immensely and which I cannot help observing. That's what it looks like when the river flows. That's what it looks like when it flows deeply through us, transforms entire nations. It's what it could look like here in this place. Let's stand together. We're going to worship and then we're going to pray together in response to these things. Sam, why don't you lead us with the band? Don't know where you might be along that river, whether it's just trickling under your feet. You're just aware of God, but you've never really known him. Or maybe it's that ankle-deep place where you know that he's there. You haven't really wanted to go in that direction. Maybe it's knee-deep, but you're really aware and you've got a choice to make. Am I going to stand or am I going to resist that river, the way that God is leading me? Maybe you're there and it's waist deep and there's a real battle. Sometimes God wins, sometimes you do, but you want to be somewhere deeper in that invitation to be in over your heads, to no longer be able to stand your ground because the river has you, because God has you completely. And that wherever the river goes, you're going to go as well. And wherever it goes, you're going to see healing break out around you. You're going to see life and death-like situations. And you want to be in that place. If that's you, we're going to pray. And uh, this is between you and God as an honest conversation. You may need to just ask God to help you in this. Lord Jesus, we see that open invitation. Ezekiel saw it in advance, but it's for us now. And I pray, personally, take me deeper, deeper into the river. Lord, what the cost might be, I don't know. It might be my comfort. It might be the things that I treasure the most. But Lord, would you take me deeper, further on, deeper still. the next stage, the stage after that, and the stage after that, that there might be healing from your presence, that the river might flow through me and touch lives around me, and that there might be life, that you bring life where there's been death. The Lord come, come teach us these things over the next few weeks, help us, we seek to dig into them. Or that in this place especially, you might learn how to follow you deeply, to go deeper with you, we pray. Amen. And if any of those things have particularly touched you, if you'd like prayer for other things, prayer ministry teams around at the end of the service in the corner, or I'm about if you'd like to pray with me. But we're going to be really on this in terms of our emphasis over the next few weeks, working out what does it look like to go deeper with God? What does this look like? We're going to end our time together with a final song of worship. Thanks. May the Lord lift his face on you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, be upon you, remain upon you now and always. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen.